But I wonder if you would turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Lord Jesus Christ says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. In the church Bible it's on page 741. And in Isaiah 53 we read of the servant who comes to lay down his life for the sheep that have gone astray. And we're going to be looking at the last three verses of Isaiah 53 tonight, but I'm going to read the whole of this fifth servant song in the book of Isaiah. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 52:13. And as I read it, why not be thinking of the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, who lays it down of his own accord only to take it up again. Here's Isaiah 52 from verse 13 to the end of verse 53, chapter 53. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For their transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, 
and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray as we come to God's word together. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that you are the God who speaks. And 700 years ago, you spoke through your prophet Isaiah to your people. And we pray that by that spirit-inspired and recorded word, by that word that you have kept for us over the centuries, by the power of the same spirit, you'd speak into our hearts now that we would hear your voice, the voice of the living God, And you would teach us of our Lord Jesus, for his name's sake. Amen. Well, Avengers Endgame is released this week. Looking around, I can see there might be a certain age discrepancy as to who understands what that means or not. It's the last in this great series of Marvel films when Thanos is finally going to be defeated. And literally millions, maybe as many as a billion people across the world are on tenterhooks waiting for its release. The two directors issued a passionate plea on social media that no one would spoil the plot. The rumours are rife, the leaks are out there. People want to know how Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow and all the crew will do what is seemingly impossible and finally stop the power of evil. Well, it's an old story, isn't it? It's one that's played out through human history and it's still being played out today. Good versus evil. How will the world be saved? If you believe the group Extinction Rebellion, who brought large parts of London to a standstill, you save the world by gluing yourself to a train to protest against climate change. But, but in the end, what they want to do is save the world. That's their desire. Because the world needs saving, doesn't it? I guess most people would accept that there is something bigger than the burning of Notre Dame that is an issue in our world today. And the Bible says that the the issue that actually is the heart of all our problems, the issue that's the heart of the human history, is the way that people have decided that we're better off ignoring God and running our lives for ourselves. The, The issue that's the heart of the world's problems is sinful people like you and me, surrounded by other sinful people divorced from knowing the God who made us and who loves us, facing his righteous punishment for the way we treat him and each other. And if you come here this evening and and you're not yet a Christian, understanding that is the heart of understanding why Christians believe Jesus is such good news. You see, the heart of our problems is our broken relationship with God. Now, the first readers of Isaiah, they knew that was their biggest problem. It was first of all written to God's people in the Old Testament around about 700 BC. And what had been once the great kingdom of Israel, well, it had been reduced to the rump of Judah, just the southern kingdom. And as Isaiah writes, the greatest people in that kingdom have been taken off into exile in Babylon. And if they'd listened to God, they know exactly why they've gone to Babylon. Because they've continued to ignore him. To to live like all the other peoples around them, worshipping the creation rather than their creator. 
You see, the primary problem the first readers of Isaiah faced wasn't some pagan evil force like Babylon. No, it was their evil pagan hearts in which they continually paid lip service to the God who'd faithfully loved them throughout their existence. And Isaiah has shown that the rescue that these people require is not just rescue from Babylon, it's actually rescue from themselves. If they're going to enjoy a restored relationship of God, if they're going to live in love with one another, if they're going to have a world that actually works, they need their hearts changed. They need something greater than just taking home from Babylon. And Isaiah's message of how that rescue comes about focuses in on this character, the servant. And in four servant songs, Isaiah outlines what the servant is going to do to rescue people from themselves. And this one that we read this evening is the last servant song. And we've come to the last three verses in it. They are the high point of this servant song. We've seen that over the weeks that the servant is one who'll be nothing to look at, one who'll suffer appallingly, one who'll die like a criminal, one, though, at the same time, who'll be highly exalted by God, one who'll cause kings to fall silent, one who'll be the strong arm of the Lord, one who'll bring peace. And, of course, the New Testament makes it clear that all these verses are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially in his death and resurrection. He is the one who described himself as coming as a servant. The one, though, in his lifetime he demonstrated the absolute authority of God on earth, said that he came not to be served, but to serve by giving up his life as a ransom for many. And as we look at verses 9 9 through to 12, what we're going to see that this is the heart of the Lord's plan to rescue people. That this servant who has suffered and died willingly is actually the one who is gloriously raised to life to bring people to be the children of God. Here's the first thing we see in verse 10. It's that the Lord's plan is that he delights to crush his servant. The Lord delights to crush his servant. Look, Look at verse 10 with me. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Do you see the repeated refrain? This is the Lord's will. There's no mistake in God's servant's suffering. This isn't an accident of history. It's not even the scheming of humanity. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ is the plan of God. So the Apostle Peter, as he preaches in Acts chapter 2, tells the Jews around him, this, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. God's deliberate plan that Jesus would suffer and die. But here's the extraordinary thing. This word will, it has the sense of of delight or take pleasure in. You see, God doesn't grudgingly give his servant. He delights to crush him, to cause him to suffer. Not in some sort of sadistic way, 
but rather because out of his great love, he has a purpose in this suffering. Look at verse 10 again with me. That The word though there would be better translated when or if. When the Lord makes his life our sin offering. You see, the, the Lord's purpose in crushing his servant is, is when he's made his life, his soul literally, a guilt offering for sin. When he's laid on the perfect sinless one, the, the sin and rebellion of his people. When he's put on the perfect holy one, all the offense of our unholiness. When he's piled onto the perfect loving one, all the ways that we have failed to love one another. When all that's been completed, uh, the servant won't be finished. No, he will live. And when the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Live. To see that the result of that death is children. To see that he can prosper by gathering in a family for God. See, in Isaiah 53 verse 6, maybe the most famous verse in this chapter, we were told that we all had strayed from the Lord like sheep, stubborn, willful, brute beasts, not, not aware of the danger we are in. But you see what the Lord's done for you? You stray like a stupid sheep. He brings you back as a precious child. And he delighted to do it. He delighted to do it. Though it cost the crushing of his one and only son. It was his pleasure. That's because by very nature God is the gracious, giving, loving God. He doesn't do anything begrudgingly. He pours out the life of his son in delight to rescue you. And the results are certain. Do you see that at the end of the verse? The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That the servant's death and then life after death will achieve God's plan. There's no doubt. Jesus' work as the servant won't fail. God's children will be gathered in. And that's what the servant lives to do today. The risen and ascended Lord Jesus is in heaven and through the preaching of his gospel and the power of the Spirit, he is gathering his people in. Across the world, literally billions of people are celebrating Easter. Not because this servant led a great army to victory. Not because he made some sort of global impact in his lifetime. Not because he wrote a fantastic book on self-improvement. But because it was God's delight to crush him. God's delight that he lay down his life and rise again to bring children into his family. We we so often keep a, a mental note, don't we, of how people respond to our gifts Sometimes we are resented if they're not quite grateful enough. We do have people in our family who use the threat of no thank you letter, no present next Christmas. You know, I was uh, buying my wife a, a birthday present this week. I thought I'd taken all the price tags out of it. I left one in the present by mistake. But I was quite glad when she saw how much it had cost. We like people to know, don't we? Some of our most generous acts are actually tainted by the slightly grudging way we do them. But our loving Lord is not like that. He delights 
to give. And what he gives is himself. Isaiah teaches that, that this one, the servant, is both the Lord and the one who grows up before the Lord. You see, this is the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who's taken on flesh. The Lord delights to give of himself, to be crushed and suffer himself for us. That doesn't mean he he skipped to the cross without a, a worry in the world, far from it. We know, don't we, the night before his death, he was in torment, struggling with the enormity of this crushing suffering to come, and praying, Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. See, God delighted to make you his child at a cost we will never fully fathom. The the scale of, of the love demonstrated over that first Easter weekend is beyond our comprehension. The magnitude of the grace, it is beyond our grasp. And look what the servant does in the next verse. You see, the Lord delights to crush his servant. The servant is satisfied as he gives righteousness to rebels. Look at verse 11 with me. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Our translation is a little bit tame here. You might be clutching a better one in your hands. Literally, it says, because of the anguish of his soul, he'll be satisfied. But because of the deepest suffering within the inmost experience of his being. You see, if you or I were ever crucified, we would never even come close to experiencing the suffering of Jesus Christ. Because we would not experience the horror of bearing the sins of the world as the perfect, precious, sinless Son of God. But because of the anguish of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. But because of what he went through, God will raise him to life. He will declare that sacrifice of the cross finished. He will say the work is a success. He he will prove his servant son is innocent. And the servant will live, says Isaiah, to see the fruit of his labors. He'll live to see what satisfies him. And do you see what satisfies him? Well, look at verse 11 again. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He knows the score. That those who who come to know him personally will be made righteous like he is. That they will come into a personal relationship with God where they are justified. Uh, Literally, it is cause to be righteous. My righteous servant will cause people to be righteous like he is. My servant who is in a perfect relationship of love and innocence with God will cause people to become into a perfect relationship of innocence and love with God. And why is that the case? Well, because he will bear their iniquities. That's the cost of this righteousness. That at the cross, Jesus deals with our guilt 
so that God can treat us as innocent. And that is what brings him satisfaction. So the writer of the Hebrews says of Jesus in Hebrews 12 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I always thought the joy was probably Jesus having a bit of a nice time in heaven when it was all finished. You know, that's the joy we feel, doesn't it, when we think about doing something. Maybe it's a hard day in the garden or getting a job done. It's us putting our feet up in a slightly self-indulgent way. It's life getting easier. But that's not the joy here. What Jesus looked at was the joy of justifying guilty people like you and me. That's what he brought him satisfaction, the joy of pouring out his life for us, of going through agony to bear our darkest sins at the cross. That is what he knew would bring him satisfaction. So, so when Peter says in his letter in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God, We could add, for Christ was satisfied to suffer for sins. Your salvation was Jesus' satisfaction. If you could imagine, say on on the first Easter Sunday, Jesus raised with a smile on his face, taking pleasure in a, a completed job. Maybe because he he knew what Paul wrote in Romans 4. He was delivered over to death for our sins, but was raised to life for our justification. God's public stamp of approval had been given to his sin-bearing work on the cross as he stood outside the tomb alive, sin paid for, forgiveness and new life bought for all those who trust in him. His children, right with God, forever. A smile of satisfied love on the face of Jesus because he knows that he's died and risen to make you right with God on the first Easter Sunday morning. Satisfied. You see, the Lord delighted to crush his servant to make you his child. The servant is satisfied to bear your sin to make you righteous. And lastly, the Lord's committed to sharing this victory with you. The Lord's committed to sharing his victory with you. Verse 12 sounds as though the Lord, who's speaking at this stage in Isaiah 53, the Lord's saying, I'll I'll make my servant like a great king. Look at verse 12 with me. Therefore I, the Lord says, will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. It sounds like he's going to elevate him to the the highest level of humanity. It's certainly a picture of this despised and rejected man, this, this sorrowful and hated man, this man who we held in low esteem, now being seen as a as a great warrior, laden down with the spoils of his victory. But but the spoils here is, is not just an elevated status. The spoils are you and me if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. But because verse 12 has the literal meaning, I will allocate him the many. 
That, that word great is the same word in verse 11 as we have for the many. We, we've met the many before. Verse 11, the servant will justify the many. We'll, we'll meet many again in verse, this verse, verse 12, where we read he bore the sin of many. So he will be allocated many. It's a specific group of people. Many. It's a group that cannot be counted, gathered around a throne, a group from every tribe, tongue and nation, many. But it's not everybody. It's many. Christ doesn't die for everyone. He dies for his people. And the people he dies for are his. He is the good shepherd, as we read in John 10, who lays down his life for his sheep. How do you know if you're his sheep? Because you hear his voice and you know him and you follow him. If that's you tonight, you know the cross of Christ has been effective for you. He has died for the many and the Lord has given Jesus you as his portion. You are the trophy of the victory he has won at the cross. You are the medal on the chest of the Lord Jesus that declares that the battle has been won. You are the reward given to the Lord Jesus for his labors. You are the many, the sheep. You are the servants. And as his, he shares the spoils of his victory with you. That's the sense. It's not that he divides the spoils with the strong, but rather the strong he divides as spoils. You see, God gives to the servant us. He gives us to the servant. The Father gives to the Son, the Lord Jesus, us as his people. And then the servant gives the world to us. A perfect new world where we will rule with him forever. Where we will enjoy him forever. Where we will dwell with him forever. Christians have been tragically in the news this week, haven't they? Maybe you felt a little less confident about owning up to following the Lord Jesus Christ after Israel Falau, the Australian rugby player, got panned for his tweet and then Vinnie Vinopola, the English rugby player, in a desperate attempt to say people should be able to say what they believe, then got reprimanded and, and I was chatting to someone who, who said, well actually it's going to be quite hard to, to say I'm a Christian at work, especially one of those evangelical Christians who maybe take the Bible seriously. And maybe you've been a little bit worried about standing out as a Christian. Perhaps you've felt a little less confident about admitting that you follow the Lord Jesus. Then today, Christians have been tragically in the news as those bombs have gone off in Sri Lanka and over 200 people have been killed. we, We are a people often ridiculed and shamed And many suffer across the world even today, and many will die for their faith. Following the suffering servant in this life is a road that looks like the life he led. And he was ridiculed, shamed, and suffered for us. But he did that with one purpose, that he could share with his people the spoils of his victory. And therefore, the certain future that we have is that we will be forever with him. 
And for those who are are true believers who died in Sri Lanka today, all that has happened is that their enjoyment of that future has been hastened. That's the worst thing that can be done by someone who brings the end of life to a Christian. They bring them more quickly to share in the spoils of their Lord Jesus Christ. And our certainty that that is our future, it doesn't depend on us. It depends on the fact that the servant is utterly committed to us. Look, there's a fourfold commitment that Isaiah ends this song with. Look at what the Lord says in verse 12 again. Here's the reason, because, that because in the middle of verse 12, because he poured out his life unto death, that because is the strongest Hebrew word possible to describe the reason for something. Here, says the Lord, is the absolute reason you can know your future with me is certain and glorious. Why? Because he poured his life out unto death. He poured his soul, the soul that was an offering for sin in verse 10, the soul that was in great anguish in verse 12, is the soul poured out for you. Nothing held back, no half measures, nothing left to give. God poured his soul out for you. Do you think he's going to keep you from sharing in the spoils? And was numbered with the transgressors. He didn't save from a distance, but he became one of us. He didn't just die hanging between criminals. He didn't just die at the hands of criminals. He didn't just let himself be treated by a criminal. Be treated as a criminal, though Jesus quotes this verse from Isaiah 53 to explain to his disciples what's going on as he's arrested. He says in Luke 22:37, it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. But, but actually for Jesus to be numbered with the transgressors was more even than that. It was for him to take upon himself our crimes. It was, as the Apostle Paul puts it, for God to make him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He could not identify with us any more closely. He pours out his life unto death. He's numbered with us transgressors. He bears the sin of many. Do you see that? The next thing, for he bore the sin of many. He he acts as our substitute. It's the recurring theme in the song. He's so committed to us, he takes our place. He dies our death. He bears our punishment. He hangs where we should hang. He takes our burden. He doesn't just stand with us. He stands for us. And he does that in history at the cross. And he does that now in heaven. Because lastly, here's the fourth commitment. And made intercession for the transgressors. The servant proactively stands between rebels and the wrath of God. You see, Jesus doesn't just reconcile us to God by dealing with our sin. He, he actively reconciles us to God by mediating our relationship, by interceding for us, by pleading our case. He demonstrated that as he died, didn't he? And prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. But the writer of the Hebrews tells us that because Jesus is risen, 
He continues to mediate, to intercede for us. So Hebrews 7.25, therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You see, the, the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, bore our sin, but, but now he constantly presents the finished work of the cross to his Father. So, so that he, he's not just won our righteous status in the past, but he's actively applying it to us in the present. He is today the channel of God's grace to us. Now the channel of God's grace to us. He is proactively, at this point in time, alive to mediate your personal relationship with your loving Heavenly Father. Tim Chester, in this very helpful book of devotions, we've been recommending it this year through the sort of season of Lent up to Easter. You might want to get it for next year. On these verses in Isaiah 53, he, he pictures this work of Christ beautifully. He, he says that, Despite receiving the praise and adoration of thousands upon thousands of angels, we are on the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ as he sits at his Father's right hand in heaven. We are his ongoing concern. To quote Chester, it's as if Jesus constantly slips away from the heavenly party held in his honor to ensure that we are safe and secure. See, that's the Lord's commitment to his people. He poured out his life for you. He became sin for you. He bore God's punishment for you. He actively mediates with God for you now. That's security, isn't it? That's to be saved completely. And what's the qualification to be in a, a group loved like this? What do you see in verse 12? And was numbered with the transgressors. He made intercession for the transgressors. Is that you this evening? Are you one who knows you've broken God's law? You've crossed the line, maybe even today, certainly this week, with your loving Heavenly Father again. You've rebelled against His rule. You've not lived in the light of His love. Well, then the servant came for you. All that Jesus did is available to you. He has borne the evil of your heart. The end game of the universe has been played out. And the servant has won. And he gives you all the benefits. You see, if you're a Christian here this evening, you need to know the Lord delights to crush his servant for you. The servant is satisfied to give you his righteousness though you're a guilty rebel. And the Lord is committed to sharing the spoils of all Jesus has done with you for all eternity. He will, he is saving you completely. And if you don't know this relationship, can you tell me of anyone who is more committed in love to you than this? Can you tell me of anything that is more secure than this? Can you tell me of a future that is better than this and a present that is safer than this? Why not, why not come to the Lord Jesus even tonight? In a moment, we're going to have a moment's quiet.
Just a moment for each of us to reflect on what the Lord's been saying to us. For some of us, that'll be admitting the joy of knowing this servant and asking once again for the forgiveness for today. But if you don't yet know him, will you admit to God that you need your heart changing? You need rescue. Will you tell God that you believe that this servant, the Lord Jesus, has died and risen to restore your relationship with him? Will you, will you come to him and commit your life to having the one who came to serve you as your Lord, the one who came to lay down his life as your king? Well, I'll just take some more time in, in the silence we now hold to, to pray to the Lord like that. Let's keep quiet together.